Easter morning service. Hopefully you've already tuned in. Watch the announcements. You watch Sam's excellent Sunday school lesson. You've gotten some good out of it. If you have not, then after the sermon this morning, I would advise you to go back and look at that and take that all in. And I'd like to remind everyone to continue to pray for each other. You know, I, I, I do thank the Lord for uh, modern technology and for the opportunity that, you know, this would have been a pretty rough stretch 25 years ago or 30 years ago. This would have really been rough. It's bad enough now, but it would have been a whole lot worse. Uh, at least now we can communicate, we can talk, we can see each other, we can, you know, live stream, and it's really been great what everyone is doing. Uh, I still urge you before we, we have a few prayer requests we didn't get in, uh, to take this extra time and spend it with God. You know, someone pointed out. I'd love to take credit for it. But he brought out how that our idols have been tore down. Uh, you know, Hollywood's not putting out any new movies. Professional sports are at a standstill. The shopping mall is closed. Most restaurants are shut down or closed, or at least you can't go in. Seemingly, if there is a one silver lining in all of this it is our idols have at least temporarily been cast down and during this time I'd like for you to spend your extra time with the Lord and truly evaluate do you really need them do you really need them are they really worth it you know I think if you would spend our time that we used to spend on some of those idols praying, seeking God. Spend it with our families. Calling a, a family member that we don't talk to very often. Telling them that we love them. I think we'll learn that we don't need those idols. We don't need that, those things quite as much as we think we do. But we can find real joy other places. Now this morning we're going to talk just a few minutes. Uh... Out of Matthew chapter 28. Uh, I know during the preliminaries they used Matthew 28. It's a familiar passage of scripture. But it is one that is absolutely true. And one that has such a profound mark on history. You see the resurrection of Jesus Christ is probably the most profound, prolific event in human history. It's an event that changed the game, if you will. And we're going to talk just a few minutes this morning concerning that. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone and sat up on it. 
Now, I want you to realize that, that an angel came and had an earthquake. We think maybe that Mary Magdalene and the other women kind of felt the earthquake. Because it kind of gives us a sequence of events here. Now, we don't know if the earthquake rolled the stone away or if just the angel did. We don't know if the earthquake was just to scare the guards or to make an entrance. But we do know this. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could come out. The stone was rolled away so they could see in. You see, Jesus was already gone. They needed to see the proof of that. And that's why the stone was rolled away. And the stone rolled away and the, and the angel set upon it. And his appearance was like lightning. And his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. One of the most profound statements. He is not here. For He is risen. Just as He said, Come see the place where He was lying. Go quickly and tell the disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. He is not here. He is risen. Another gospel proclaims, why do you look for the living? Why do you look among the dead for the living? Easter morning, the day in which we celebrate the risen Savior. Leading up to Easter morning is Holy Week. It's when we think back, when we celebrate, if you will, and remember the events leading up to the crucifixion and thus leading up to the resurrection. You may ask, why do we celebrate these days? Why do we look at them the way we do? You know, what does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? We do a lot of singing, a lot of proclaiming, He's alive, He's alive. He is risen. But what does that mean? Why are we so excited that Jesus rose again on the third day? Why are we so excited that we stake our whole religion on this event? That He is risen. Why is Easter so important? You know, Good Friday is important to the Christian. But the early church, they staked their faith on Easter. Good Friday is when Jesus paid the price where he, he died on the cross. But we stake our faith on Easter morning. Why is that? What's the, what's the difference? Why is the one so much more important seemingly? Or why does it catch so much more of the praise? And the answer starts all the way back in the garden. When Adam fell to sin. And ever since then, each and every one of us 
has been born with a problem. Every man that walks on the earth was born with a severe problem. That we in and of ourselves have no answer for. You know, we've tried philosophy, self-help. We can rationalize it. And we can tell how we can, we can try to reform. I've heard people say that, we, that people are good people because it's the best for society. But they still have that problem. Everyone living shares in this same problem. And the problem is, we were born with a slant towards sin. We were born sinners. Now, until we sin on purpose, we're innocent. But even that baby that you're holding, or that you have, and even my grandson, which is absolutely the center of our world, he has a slant towards sin. You don't have to teach him to do what's wrong. He already knows how. It already shows his rebellion. Mine showed at that age too, and so did yours. By the time you're just a couple months old, rebellion starts to show. And you say, oh, well, that baby's innocent. He is absolutely innocent. But he has a slant towards sin. And we were all born with that slant towards sin. And what I mean by a slant is that it left unimpeded. Our desires are always self-centered and evil. It's like taking a ball to the top of a hill. You let go of the ball, if nothing stops it, it will always roll down the hill. And when you take man with the natural heart and you let him go, he will always go his own way. Eventually, he'll go his own way. He won't choose the right. He won't choose God's way because he's slanted towards sin. David in Psalms 51 declared, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He understood that he was sinful by nature. He understood that he wasn't even born neutral. You know, we're not even born with the decision whether or not we're going to be sinful. We're simply born sinful. Not neutral. And instead of being born neutral, lost my thought just a second, we're all born selfish, self-serving. And, and, and at the end of the day, we desire to satisfy ourselves. And in my studies, I've looked into that. And all the philosophy agrees that that's who man is. That man is self-centered. Man is selfish. Man is self-serving. And he has a slant towards sin. Some philosophers would declare that that's okay. That the meaning of life is to satisfy self. And I guess that would be okay. That you're born sinful. And with that slant towards sin. Except for the fact that we were put on this earth 
to glorify an all-powerful holy God. That inward sin would be just fine, except for the fact that God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. It may be okay to be self-centered, except we have to realize that one day we're going to stand before a God who never overlooks sin. He never overlooks it. There has always been a price for sin, and there will always be a price for sin. And because of that, because that we have an almighty God that we were going to stand before and is not going to allow us to slide by, we had a problem we didn't have an answer for. We needed somebody to take care of that sin problem. And this week we celebrate the fact that Jesus paid that price on the cross. We celebrate the fact that, that Jesus didn't come and die in our place, if you will. He came and died for us. Because we could die a thousand deaths and never pay the price for sin. Because we have sinned. We was not perfect. But Jesus came and was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He came, He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and suffered the wrath of God being poured out upon Him so that we could have forgiveness. He suffered for all the sins of mankind that we could have forgiveness. And the blood of Jesus continues to live. And, and, and the blood of Jesus is so precious and, and so precious in God's sight that it was satisfactory to satisfy <coughs> the wrath of God that was pointed toward us. It made it so we were able to be saved. And that is good news. The good news is, and we're getting to the resurrection, but the good news is on Friday, Good Friday, the price has been paid. Forgiveness becomes within reach of everyone. We are told to repent because the price has been paid. Our past no longer has to define us. Yesterday no longer has to define you. Last week no longer has to define you. Earlier today does not have to define you. The price has been paid. The victory has been won. I love what Paul writes in Philippians. And I'm not going to quote it here. I'll flip to it real quick. Why not? Philippians chapter uh, 3 verse 13. He says, Brother, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Paul there saying, I haven't made it yet, fellas. I'm not all that I have, I'm supposed to be, that I want to be. I've not made it to heaven yet, but this one thing is for sure. I know the price has been paid. I know that my sins have been forgiven. I know that Jesus Christ died and took my place. So all I'm worried about is from this moment forward. All I'm worried about is from this moment 
forward. And, and, and that is what we got there on the cross. But let me remind you of this. The blood that was shed on Calvary was shed for the most secret of sins to the most public. There is forgiveness because the price has been paid. There is forgiveness because Jesus took that forgiveness, took that wrath and gives us forgiveness. The burden of guilt and of sin is no longer necessary. You can be transformed. You can have your heart changed. Have your mind renewed. And be delivered from that burden of sin. All you have to do is allow Jesus to remove that sin. To remove that burden. Come to Him in repentance. The price has been paid. There's nothing else to be done. There is nothing else that you have to do. There's nothing for you to work on. There is nothing for you to get ready for. There is nothing for you to think about. There is nothing for you to do except to repent and believe because the price has already been paid. And that brings us to our text. The price was paid Friday. The blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. The Most High was slain in the place of us sinners. The perfect Lamb of God has been led to the slaughter. The sacrifice has been laid down. And our opportunity to have our sins forgiven has been made. And then we come to our text. Our text reports of an empty tomb. In verse 6, the angel declares he, has ri- he is risen. The empty tomb represents a triumphant Savior. Yes, He died for our sins, but He rose for our lives. Yes, He, we, we, he had the, the, the wrath of God was poured out upon Him so that we do not have to spend eternity in hell. But He rose again. He rose again so that no more does sin and death have to rule our lives. He rose again so that we can have freedom from sin right now. You see, Jesus, God looked back and He realized that precious blood of Jesus that had to be shed. That precious blood of Jesus that had to be shed for our sins was far too precious to just bring forgiveness and leave us in our sin. It was far too precious to leave us setting in that pile, in that trash heap of sin. Yes, it, it, it was far too precious to leave us there. And so it was shed so that we could have forgiveness. But then Jesus rose again on the third day. He is alive. Why do we celebrate the empty tomb? Because we no longer have to have that sin reigning in our lives. We have a triumphant Savior who not only paid the price for sin but conquered it. We have a triumphant Savior who not only died for our sins but rose so that we can live 
in a proper relationship with God. You know, to the world that in the first century, to a world that only knew the great division that sin caused between man and God, Easter brought a new day. The early Christians, they loved the idea of Easter even more so than us. They had no idea that man could ever be reconciled to God. They were raised in a time when it was an impersonal relationship. They slaughtered animals. They appeased their God. They tried to serve their God. But as Paul declared in Romans, they just couldn't quite get there. He said, O wretched man that I am. He's talking in the past tense there. And he's talking about past it's historical present. But he's talking about the way he was. He was sold under sin. He could keep the law to the T. But sin still ruled him. And they understood that. And they understood that Easter brought a new day. Yes, the sacrifice was made. But the empty tomb was proof that Jesus was who He said He was. And if Jesus was who He said He was, Jesus told him, I am the Messiah. I am God. I am the great I am. And the empty tomb proved that. When He rose from the dead, it proved He was who He said He was. And if Jesus was who He said He was, then you had to believe what He had to say. And what did He say? He said, Come unto Me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, Come to Me, and I will give you rest. He said, Cast your cares upon Me because I care for you. The empty tomb was a sign that Jesus' word is eternal because He is eternal. The tomb gives more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was sealed on Calvary. Deliverance was sealed when that tomb was empty. We do no longer have to be a slave to sin. Jesus didn't die for us to be saved sinners. He died to deliver us from sin. He died that we can no longer, as Paul declared, that we would no longer be servants unto sin, but we would serve righteousness. It is only through that resurrection that we have that hope. It is only through the resurrection that we can have that ability to actually serve God as we should. It is the hope and assurance of the empty tomb that lets us know that sin and death and hell and the grave and the curse that started in Adam, Adam no longer has to rule our lives. There is deliverance. There is deliverance. There is a way to get right with God. There is finally a way for us to be reconciled with the Savior. Can you imagine... The, the, the minds of those disciples when they finally dawned on them. Why do you think they all died martyrs? They realized a truth that they had never known their whole life. They had something to proclaim 
that was a completely that has changed mankind ever since. Yes, we at one time we could not be reconciled to God as we should. Sin reigned, but now Jesus lives. Jesus lives, so no sin no longer reigns. You know, the, the, the uh, songwriter said, He regarded my helpless estate and has shed His own blood for my soul. The song this morning, He lives, He lives so I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. The risen Savior, the hope, the power, the ability to not only be forgiven of sins, but to no longer have to wallow in the pig pen of it. To have the ability to pull ourselves up out of sin and say, I want no more part of it. I don't want to sin. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be in bondage to sin. But I want to be free to serve my God. That's the risen tomb. That's the risen Savior. That's the empty tomb. Is the ability to overcome sin. And so it does not have to reign. I pray that you find a place to get alone with God today. That you thank Him for His, His work on Calvary and for His sacrifice. And that you praise God for the risen tomb. For the risen Savior and for the empty tomb. And that you realize that Jesus Christ is alive. He is alive and well. He lives here within us. He lives all around us. He is everywhere and He is everything. That you praise His name for this. That you lift Him up. And that you get alone and you say, Oh God, I know Your blood is too precious to stay in sin. I know that You have the power to deliver me. And anyone that's listening that doesn't serve God, know this. The time is now. The price is paid. There's nothing more you need. There's nothing else needs to happen. You say, I just can't. You're absolutely right. There's no way. I couldn't either. But the price was paid and the tomb is empty. You cannot, but Jesus can. You cannot, but He can. You say, oh, you just don't understand. I can't yet. And I'm right, you can't. But He can. He can give you a new heart, a new mind. He can give you a new ambition. He can give you a new drive. But most of all, He can give you forgiveness. And He can give you His Spirit. And that will see you through to the end. Come to know the Lord if you don't. If you do know the Lord, seek His face. Give Him praise. Give Him glory. Lift Him up. He paid the price. Yes. But He also, He rose again on the third day. We serve a living, a living Savior. He is worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank You for Your goodness and for Your love. Thank You that the tomb is empty. Praise Your name that we have a Savior that cares for us that cares about us, that wants us to come into the ark of safety, that wants us to repent of our sins and to draw close to Him. Oh, Father, thank You for the work on Calvary, for the empty tomb, 
Thank you, dear God, that you draw us close if we'll just listen. We pray that those that need your hand, that need your forgiveness, will seek it while they can. Will trust your word that you will save them. That will have confidence in you, O God, that it is your power that will save them. Help us to have confidence in you, dear God. To live above sin and to walk in your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you.